With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Here we go. Another episode of the official show. Usually, Fish Stripe subscribers can expect a weekly solo podcast from me, Eli Sussman. But on Monday, I was paired with Ethan Badowski. We analyzed the difficult Miami Marlins roster decisions heading into opening day. And for this Thursday episode, I am joined by Daniel Rodriguez. Throughout this month, you've gotten to know Daniel. He's been hosting the Tuesday and the Thursday editions of our new Big Fish Small Pod. You can find those right here on the Fish Drives feed. Obviously, this Thursday is a special occasion, the first regular season game of a highly anticipated Marlins season. That's why we, I suggested that we deviate from the usual routine that so that me and you could co-host this for a not-so-small pod and go through all the things that are on top of mind entering into the start of the regular season, entering opening, opening day with lots of reasons for Marlins optimism, aren't we, Daniel? Zero official wins for the team at the moment, but they're carrying some momentum heading into 2021. Well, they are the Grapefruit League champions being in first place. And and I, I think they're going to hang maybe another batter next to the Grapefruit League one this year. That uh, on the field and spring <laughs> training games, yes, sir. And then off the field, finalizing first the TV deal with Bally Sports Florida and now officially announced on Wednesday and widely reported on Tuesday, the, the new naming rights to the ballpark. It's been Marlins Park for nine seasons ever since the ballpark was founded in Little Havana, and now it's got a new name, Lone Depot Park. Lone Depot, all one word, park in lowercase. They're keeping the park, but putting the name in lowercase. I, I've put the word out already to, on, on Twitter and in our articles that we're going to be stylizing it with like capital letters. We're not going to buy in to whatever the company is trying to do here with confusing people with uh, the fonts and all this, but we're trying to keep it as straightforward as possible. Uh, so far, not exactly sure how much money the team is getting. The initial report from Joe Fursara was 9 to $10 million a year. That was walked back by the Miami Herald. They're saying it's closer to four, maybe five, about half of that. I mean, either way, it's it brings in a substantial difference to the team operating moving forward. I think every little bit counts, and this is more than a little bit to get that every single year for the foreseeable future, you think it was worth it, worth it to take on the Lone Depot name in order to like add to the resources that this team will have to improve the team. I think anytime you can bring that amount of money to a team, especially a small market team like Miami, it's definitely worth it. I was looking at it in line with recent deals. It's more like the Brewers one where the Brewers got a $4 million deal last year. So it'll probably be around there. I don't know if it's like nine or 10, but I think just getting that amount of money will be good for the Marlins. And as for the name, I am also a little confused with the, with the lowercase it's lowercase loan and then capitalized D and depot. And at first I thought it was home depot. I, I thought it was a home depot section, like loan depot. I wasn't sure, but 
overall, the Marlins getting this sponsorship, I think it's going to bring in some good revenue to the team. They can use it for their payroll. They can use it for the future. And anytime you get this amount of money, like I said, to a small market team, I think good things are going to happen. It's a good move for the Marlins doing this deal. Yeah, for what it's worth, I mean, the CEO of Lone Depot, he's a lifelong baseball fan. I think people are disappointed, though, that's not like a Miami-based company in any way. This one's based out in California. So they were rooting for whether it was Publix or Ocean Bank or just anything that was like more familiar for them, something that they could uh, that had sort of a Marlins theme to it, like in some indirect way that they're not getting it with this sponsorship. But I mean, all things considered, yeah, better than nothing. And uh, that's something that it's clear ownership was working for for a while because big press conference here on a Wednesday about it with Derek Jeter and then the CEO of uh, Lone Depot. And Jeter was pretty upfront about how the team's been looking for this for years. I mean, ever since they took over, this has been one of the top priorities for them is finding a naming rights deal. They negotiated with other teams or other, no, other teams, with other companies. There were others at various points. We don't know who those will be. Maybe that will come out later on. There were other alternatives that were potentially in play, but probably at lower prices. And they had to work to, to get this done. But what, what's your guess in terms of how the fan base overall is going to perceive this and, and how seriously they're going to take the deal? Do you think most people are going to learn to acknowledge Lone Depot when they're talking about the ballpark or are they going to kind of reflexively defensively continue to call it Marlins Park going forward just to to help each other understand is that what which which name do you think is actually going to like actually translate to, to most people across this season I think it's just going to continue calling Marlins Park because I don't think people just want to say, you know, Lone Depot, when you say Lone Depot to someone, I don't, I'm not sure they really understand what that is or, or really know about it down here in Miami. Like you mentioned, they're from California. So I'm guessing they're going to continue calling it Marlins Park. Also like right here down the street with the Dolphins, they've gone through like a name change every year. Pro player, pro player Joe Robbie, Hard Rock, everyone just calls it Dolphin Stadium or a pro player. But I think they're just going to call it just off the team. They might be a little skeptical at first because, it's changed and you're changing to something that most fans don't really know of in Lone Depot. Like, like you said, if it was Publix, Publix Park would have been a really good name down here in Miami that would be able to cut on. But I think it just takes time with Lone Depot. I think maybe you have to give it a, a, maybe a couple of years before they start calling it Lone Depot. And then you have the, the team calling it Lone Depot Park, like the Twitter avatar for Marlins Park changed to Lone Depot Park, stuff like that. It's going to take a little bit of getting used to for fans before they start calling it Lone Depot Park. They're going to they're gonna do everything possible, I imagine, to kind of shove it down people's throats. I imagine they'll have a lot of ads during the TV and the radio broadcasts about Lone Depot. You know, all the signage is going to go up at Marlins Park. We've already seen that on the outfield fences, it seems they have a few permanent placements. And there was, there was like a, a rendering, uh, just not a real version of it, but they're going to have a lot of signage on the roof itself. Whether the roof is closed or open, they're going to try to make that visible to, as far as the eye can see. I'll be curious to see what that actually looks like in reality because the company was was having some fun with what that potentially would look like and kind of exaggerating the size of that sign. But they're, I mean, they invest a lot of money, so they're probably going to do everything possible to make it stick. But 
as I, I've said to other people, they're not paying us at Fish Stripes directly. They're not making us buy into it. So it's up to uh, our our preference, really, to decide exactly make, making sure whatever makes most sense for the fans and whatever they feel is most appropriate, that's what we're going to go with. Um, in other news, not official news as we're recording this, but it may be official by the time folks are listening to it, the opening day roster for the Marlins, we spent – like an hour on the last pod on Monday, me and Ethan going through these decisions and we got pretty close to the actual solutions. So people could go back and listen to that if they want. I suppose I'll just run through the names really quickly that these seem to be the 26 players that will be active here on Thursday as you're listening to this for the first game against the Rays in alphabetical order, the pitchers, Sandy Alcantara, Anthony Bass, Richard Blyer, Paul Campbell, Adam Simber, John Curtis, Ross Detweiler, Dylan Floro, Yimmy Garcia, Eliezer Hernandez, Pablo Lopez, Zach Pop, and Trevor Rogers. On the position player side, 13 of those as well. Jesus Aguilar, Jorge Alfaro, Brian Anderson, John Birdie, Lewis Brinson, Jazz Chisholm Jr., Garrett Cooper, Corey Dickerson, Adam Duvall, Starling Marte, Miguel Rojas, Magnaris Sierra, and Chad Wallach. So uh, to you, are there any surprises in this bunch or any other decisions that you think you would have made differently? Um, a lot of these names we've been expecting for a while, uh, but these decisions at the back end of the rotation in the bullpen and uh, confirming the guys on the bench, all that seems to have gone down to the wire. So any general thoughts about the decisions that the Marlins made here to open the season? Uh, for me, I'm a little disappointed in not seeing Anthony Bender, seeing Bender mania running wild for the Marlins. Um, but he, just, he was just so dominant in, in spring training. I think the Marlins were, are going to have to bring them up in some time or another just because how he was in spring training. And and another um, surprise were the Rule 5 draftees and Paul Campbell and Zach Pop, and then how just they just brought them onto the roster and just how they performed in spring training. I thought it was a little surprise. Maybe I thought maybe one of them would make the roster, but having two, both of them make it, I, that shows like the Marlins are really invested in them. They were surprised what they saw, and they really think they're going to produce, um, well, a lot of good pitches, a lot of good ERAs for the Marlins this season. And then the position player side have to be Lewis Brinson. I'm not the biggest Lewis Brinson fan. I gave up on him maybe like two years ago. And just seeing him on here still irks me from the Christian Yellick trade. But I'll still give him maybe one more opportunity. And then after that, I think the Marlins just have to let him go, just cut their losses on that trade. But overall, also the position player side, everything looks good. Jasters and won the second base job against Isan Diaz. But overall, I think it looks pretty good, the position player side for the Marlins and also the pitchers. It's it's really no secret that this isn't the pos- this isn't the strongest possible group of 26 players, I don't think. It's close, but it's not exactly. I mean, for one, we know that Sixto got sent down. In fact, uh, as we're recording this, he's making what will he hope to be one of his final tune-up starts at their alternate training site in Jacksonville, getting stretched out for duty. Um, and if they absolutely had to, if these were must-win games, he would be on the roster somehow, even though he's not fully stretched out, but they're letting him take his time. You mentioned Anthony Bender. I mean, he was one of the stars of spring training. He was one of our finalists for the Marlin of the Month Award, uh, scoreless spring training. And it just came down to roster machinations just the politics of it where he signed a minor league deal wasn't on the 40-man roster to begin with they had to take somebody out to put him on 
and uh, once they put him on, so it's uh, it it just starts this whole cycle with him where you don't want to bring guys up until you're absolutely sure that they're going to stick around a while, even if they're deserving of it ahead of time. And the fact is he was just on the outside looking in and those rule five guys, Campbell and pop, they need to be in the major leagues or on the injured list. Otherwise you return them to their old team. And that, that simple restriction was something that I wasn't really a fan of when they acquired those guys in December, but then you see them in spring training and they both showed a lot of promise. I mean, especially pop, he showed, really great promise. Also, I believe had a scoreless spring training or maybe allowed just one run. He was either way, he was really great. And so you could see him maybe not being as good as Bender right now, but not that far off. And obviously with those guys, it's all about the the long-term play with it. And with Brinson, I mean, you kind of are on the same wavelength that I am that I was dreading spring training a little bit because you just knew that he was going to do well in spring training and that he was going to raise people's hopes all over again. And the overall stats in the Grapefruit League weren't actually up to the same standard that he had set the previous few years. He got off to a pretty slow start. Well, he hit a home run in his first at bat, and then he had a mini slump, but then he heated up again at the end. And then you look up and you see the production is pretty good. And so I guess you're on the same page with me there where you don't want to be tricked again. You don't want to be drawn in again, right? By the way he produces in these fake games because you know that once the real stuff starts, that's when the flaws in this game will start to show up. Yeah, I, I don't even know. What do you think maybe Lewis Brinson's ceiling is this year? And maybe how far of a leash do you think he has with the with the front office so far this season? Do you think maybe at the trade deadline, just cut him loose? Or if he gets in the mini slump, back to AAA or, or the uh, DFA him? It's tricky. I, I think they've already accepted that he is not cut out to be an everyday player. They're not going to try to force him into that role that changed last year. I mean, last year he was losing playing time to Matt Joyce and with all due respect to Matt Joyce, he seemed to be over the hill and he was definitely behind the depth chart on um, Corey Dickerson and Corey Dickerson was really struggling last year. They're expecting more of him this year. That just goes to show the fact that he couldn't get consistent starts last year except against left-handed pitching that they've already settled that his job is going to be as a platoon player, maybe. And honestly, if you look at the rest of this roster, that's not, that opportunity isn't really there. He's more on this roster at the moment as a pinch hitter, a defensive replacement. And, and that's about it with him. Yeah. They have all these other outfielders in the high minors that they're really high on. Uh, Jesus Sanchez was a guy who wasn't, in, able to battle for a spot just because he suffered an injury midway through spring training. Uh, Monte Harrison had a rough spring training at the plate, um, but he's someone that has even greater athleticism overall than someone like Brinson does more upside, even though his track record at the major league level is really spotty. So I, I wonder if, if he shows the right adjustments, he could leapfrog Brinson on the depth chart. And the biggest, I mean, outfield name of them all is going to be JJ Bleday, who had a great spring training who's he's younger than all these guys, but he's so polished as an overall player. And the team has so much invested in him that once a regular opportunity in the outfield opens up in the big leagues, Blade is the one that is going to shoot to the top, no matter really who's in his way. So yeah, I see Brinson potentially sticking as like this limited bench player for the first couple months of the year, but I'm not even so sure that happens. There could come a point as this year goes on in the first few weeks where they decide they need to carry an extra pitcher when they see he's not getting any real playing time and they just option him down to the minors 
And whether or not they trade him or cut him loose during the year, I don't know. They still have that minor league option. They could kick that can down the road, uh, even though I feel they've kicked it enough down the road that they've already been doing this for long enough that, yeah, I think there's just not a whole lot at stake with him. I mean, the best case scenario is he's the guy he was last year, and that's really an end of the bench player. And I mean, it's better than nothing, but you're right. It's, it's just a, it's a disappointment relative to what the initial expectations are. Um, yeah. I mean, any other last thoughts about the roster? I, I think uh, that just about covers it, right? Yeah, just the only thing that disappointing, no DH in the NL. I would have loved to see a DH with someone really like Garrett Cooper getting his at-bats, showing his, his power as a home run hitter. That would have been a lot of fun to see. But besides that, everything looks great so far in the Marlins roster. Just I just really wish DH would have happened this year because it was so great last year watching DHs and not, watch, not having to watch uh, pitchers uh, try to bat. Yeah, fingers crossed that there's a miracle on that front. We know what happened last year, right before opening day. They announced all those rule changes. They announced the expanded playoffs. That uh, it all came together very, very quickly at the last minute. So, yeah, holding out hope that they figure something out. That both sides, the players union and Major League Baseball, they come to their senses and they put their differences aside to get that done. If not, we. We're almost certain to see it in 2022. So that's something to keep in mind when you see what the Marlins do this year with their team building is that I think everybody expects under the new collective bargaining agreement that the DH will be universal. So it's it's coming at some point. It'll be there. Uh, with most of this pod, I already told you in advance that we want to focus on the bigger picture stuff with this whole 2021 Marlins season. Uh, what's the best case scenario and what's the worst case scenario? Uh, there have been... Um, it's been great to see people weigh in on what their expectations of the team are and all that. Uh, there's a few different directions that this can go. And it feels good to say that because that really wasn't the case in 2018 and 2019, the ground floor of this rebuild, you, you knew that there was really no path to them being competitive all summer long. And that seems to be different this year, that there is something you can envision a certain scenario where they really do stick around all year long. And even with a, regular size playoffs reduced from last year, just two wild cards and just division winners getting in that they can, they can really potentially have the upside of getting back to October and really earning it. Something that they haven't done over a full length season since of course, 2003. And we're going to start with the worst case scenario with the Marlins where uh, I'm sure you've seen some of the national projections for the team, uh, all the sports books, put the over under right around 70 wins, 71, maybe 72. And that means 90 plus losses. Baseball prospectus and fan graphs are in that same range. In MLB.com's power rankings, they had the Marlins at number 21 out of 30 teams. And I think ESPN has them in the, in the exact same spot, number 21 out of 30, which is, is mediocre. It's not terrible, but it's mediocre. There is, I think, a scenario where this is a terrible team. And I suppose one of the keys that will potentially contribute to that is just the inexperience that they have on uh, the starting pitching side where they have so much potential with all these guys. But aside from Sandy Alcantara, these, none of them have any experience going a full length season, 30 starts, 32 starts without suffering an injury or without um, some other sort of inconsistency that gets them sent down. It's going to be one of the youngest starting rotations in the league. And 
although that's a reason for some optimism. We'll get into that a little later, that just that lack of experience, it could go in a lot of different directions. Some of these players that have great pitching ability, they don't reach that full potential in their first full season or even their second full year that you sometimes need to be patient for them to all click for all the adjustments to be made. And so that's just one of the concerns that I have about this team on paper and one that potentially we're seeing, we're hoping the starting pitching is a strength of the team, but there's another flip side of that where it actually becomes a weakness if these guys can't stay healthy or if just something gets into their head. Is there any other, is there any weakness that you see on this team or any key players that you're especially worried about that you think could drag the team down? I think maybe Adam Duvall, if he doesn't really live up to maybe expectations that the Marlins have for him, especially in his home run hitting, because the Marlins have just been lacking in hitting over the course, I would say maybe the last three years or so, especially last year, they finished 23rd in OPS with 703. And I just think hitting overall, ever since I see Giancarlo Stanton left, leaving Miami, just the Marlins need home run. They, they, they've always been the bottom of the league in home run hitting. And I think if the Marlins want to make the wild card this year, they're going to have to get at least 25 home runs from Adam Duvall. Aguilar needs to hit some home runs, and especially Garrett Cooper. If he can hit anywhere from maybe 20 to 25 home runs, I think the Marlins would be in good position to make a wild card run. Yeah. Um, I mean, touching on the outfield, one other – one thing I'm – kind of optimistic about that we'll get into later is the team defense and the potential to get great fielding from a variety of different positions, players that are really good fundamentally and that are also very toolsy, but the default starting outfield, as we've mentioned, entering the season for the most part, Starling Marte in center, Corey Dickerson in left and Adam Duvall in right. And you know what all those guys have in common? They're all 32 years old, which isn't, that's not an age that, totally scares you being 32. It doesn't mean that you're hopeless and uh, entirely over the cliff. Of course, Starling was great last season for the Marlins and Adam Duvall was pretty great last season for the Braves. But at least historically, when you look at other similar players, that defense is sometimes the very first thing to go with your skill set when you reach that age. And so with them, you don't know where exactly that cliff is going to come. Maybe they don't fall off a cliff but if you have those three guys starting consistently and all of them begin to take steps down from where they were just last year or the year before, then all of a sudden that defense in Marlins Park, which is it's a little smaller than it used to be, the dimensions, but still a pitcher-friendly park will be very important to have guys that can cover the grounds in the outfield. And if you have these older players that have lost a step or two and can't cover that grounds, and yet you really need their bats in the lineup, it puts Don Mattingly in this impossible position where he's either playing guys that are giving back runs defensively, or he's choosing to sit these guys that have these proven bats in order to give more playing time to who? To Lewis Brinson, to call up Monte Harrison, maybe call up J.J. Bleday, and that's a guy that could stabilize things if he lives up to his potential. Overall, though, when you turn that over to all these other younger outfielders, that's where you have a possibility of really just not getting the production you need out of those positions. And people are going to rip me apart for saying this, but I'm a little concerned about Miguel Rojas as well. I mean, he's the captain of this team, but right now they're trusting him um, 
he's 32 years old as well. I mean, he's at the same stage of his career. He's coming off a great performance all around in 2020. It was a small sample though. It was, he played about 40 games and it's hard to trust that that will hold up as he reaches this stage of his career. Uh, he put in a lot of work this offseason. He tried to show that he's as committed as ever, that he's going to continue getting better. And he has continued to prove people wrong throughout his career that thought he had these limitations. Uh, there's just a scenario that if you trust him with the shortstop job and he loses a step, just the natural aging of the baseball process, then you have a big question mark all of a sudden at this critical position at shortstop in the middle of the field. So I don't think that all of those guys that Rojas and Cooper and Marte and Duvall are going to be busts that all of them are going to slow down, but it just takes a couple of them um, guys that are penciled in right now for very regular playing time. And if they don't live up to the back of their baseball cards or they don't live up to their defensive reputations, then all of a sudden that just has a ripple effect throughout the whole team. And I think another one that can maybe for Miami would have to be just overall just COVID, especially last year in the beginning of the season, that, that was like the story of the year for major league baseball in, in the early parts of that season with the Marlins getting COVID the season, people were talking to get canceled. Should they even play? It took just a long break until being able to come back. And even then they had, young players who probably shouldn't have been called up, having to play, bringing up guys who've never played baseball, um, major league baseball before in, in the top flight. And if the Marlins can be healthy, not get COVID, be safe, isolate, quarantine, whatever they have to do, I think it'd be really great for the Marlins at the beginning of that season, especially what they went through last year, having, I believe, the most moves in the beginning of the year, just in major league history, for the Marlins last season. If they cannot get COVID and everyone's healthy, I think great things could happen for this team. Yeah. Um, looking a little farther ahead, this is really one of my, my bigger uh, worries about the team overall is that unless they really get off to a hot, hot start that not at the top of the division, I mean, that might be, we'll get into that, whether that's even in the realm of possibility, but if they're not, even much above the 500 mark. If they're somewhere in the middle, if they're right in the mix for a wild card at come the trade deadline, you don't know what direction they'll go with that. Last year, they um, they were in a pretty fortunate situation where they got good performances from veteran players and almost all those veteran players were still under contract for the following season. So they didn't have to make any tough decisions where they were able to hold on to all those guys knowing that hopefully they help us get into the 2020 playoffs and they'll still be around with us for 2021, like Jesus Aguilar, like Starling Marte, and of course, Corey Dickerson um, in the bullpen, Yimmy Garcia, and at the time, Brandon Kinsler, that they were able to hold on to everybody to get them over the hump. But now a lot of those players are finally on the doorstep of free agency. You have Marte, who's going to be a free agent potentially for the first time in his career. Uh, as a guy who will be very highly desirable. If you look ahead to the free agent market, there are uh, almost no other comparable center fielders that are going to be on the market. Jesus Aguilar still has control beyond this year, but he'll be uh, through the arbitration system. He'll be in line for a big pay raise. And it's really unlikely that the Marlins are going to be retaining him beyond this season because of that. Yimmy Garcia will be a free agent. Um, Potentially, Adam Duvall is someone that could be a free agent. They have a mutual option in his contract for 2022. And Dickerson is going to be a free agent. 
So this is like the flip side where even if some of those key players are doing really well, if it's not enough to put the team where it wants to be uh, competitively in 2021, then this is an opportunity where the front office will be tempted to simply swap those guys for prospects and turn the page, look to the future, build something more sustainable, uh, save money as well. I mean, we saw all the, um, the big moves that they've made financially with the new TV deal and with the new naming rights deal. But I mean, this is a team that was dead last in baseball in revenue before those deals. And even with these changes, it doesn't necessarily put them in, along with the big market clubs. It doesn't really even put them in the middle class of baseball financially. They're still a, one of the lower revenue teams and a team that will always really need to focus on efficiency that has to make these tough decisions in order to continue to keep that farm system strong. So if you have, if you end up selling off a lot of these players and uh, particularly the relievers, we mentioned Anthony Bender. I think Anthony Bender will be up in the majors at some point, but maybe he is as good as advertised in the middle innings. He has like a a 1.5 ERA. He's striking out everybody in the middle of the year, but the team isn't going anywhere then we've seen with this front office, even before Kim Ang arrived, that they don't show a lot of loyalty to relief pitchers. Like if you're on a hot streak, they sell high on you. When uh, James Hoyt has an uneven spring training, like even coming off a great year, they they jump ship before it's too late, before they can't get anything in return. If they get this team, one of the hopes is that the bullpen was going to be improved in 2021 compared to 2020. But there's a scenario where it's improved. And again, it doesn't add enough to the team overall that you have to flip them at the, that they'll be tempted at least to flip them to contending teams in the middle of the season. And then that just leaves a big void with where the the replacements are internally. This was, that was like a big part of what happened in 2019, 2019, they lost 105 games. And if you lost that, watch that full season, you know they were a lot better than an 105 loss team. Uh, the problem was the last two months of the season, they had no bullpen whatsoever. They didn't have a closer. They didn't have a setup man. They didn't really have a seventh inning guy at all because they had inconsistencies from those roles and because they, they made trades when they had the opportunity to, and they didn't really worry about the consequences. I think one more thing that really hurt the Marlins this offseason was letting Brandon Kinsler go. I think the Marlins could have used him as a as after closer this year after he had just such a great year last year. I think that's really that probably hurt the Marlins this year, especially him going in inside the division, which is going to hurt them even more. I think they could have just spent a little bit of the money. It wasn't even a lot he was asking for, but I think that's probably going to hurt the Marlins this year not picking up Brandon Kinsler. Agreed. Agreed. Um, it seems that he, I think he made the Phillies roster. So we will be seeing a lot of him head to head this season as well. Uh, before we move on to the brighter stuff, let me get, what do you think that worst case scenario looks like in the standings? What is potentially the record that you could see this team having if they, if all these things blow up in their face, if they have starting pitching injuries, if they sell off their free agents and their hot relievers if their defense like falls off a cliff just because these guys are at the wrong part of the aging curve and all that. Um, and I guess in particular, if you think Adam Duvall is someone to, to worry about 
moving forward. What do you think that record looks like if everything goes wrong? Just to brace people for like the nightmare season, potentially coming off a playoff berth. How far down do you think they could drop if, if it's just that year from hell for them? If everything goes wrong, like you just said, I would, don't be surprised if they hit 100 losses. But maybe not 105, 110, but even like exactly 62 and 100, 99 losses. But especially I can see them picking top three next year in the draft. That That's where I see them top three in the draft, I mean, bottom three in the league. But maybe at most, like you mentioned, 70 wins that the sports book have. But even that, that could be a stretch. If it's exactly as we, if everything goes wrong, they sell. No one lives up to expectations. Don't be surprised if they hit that 60 win mark. I'm, I'm in a similar area. I'll give them a little bit more credit because I'm optimistic about the next wave of prospects that will fill some of those spots if they lose guys to injuries and trades. I'll say no matter what, they'll get to about 65 wins, 65 and 97, that it will be an improvement at least over where they were a couple of years ago, just because of that depth they have. Um, I guess one more thing we should mention is just the brutal strength of this division, right? I mean, everybody in this division potentially could be a big threat. These teams have big budgets. They have motivations to win right now. Some of them have been very incompetent in the past. People always love to laugh at the Mets. They laugh at the Phillies. Uh, The reality is those teams now are as motivated as ever, and they have so much star power, established star power on their roster that the Marlins don't quite have, that playing nearly half of your games against those teams is going to make your team look worse than it actually is if those teams stay healthy and if all of them are, com- are competing right until the end of the season, either for the division title or for a wild card spot. That is, unfortunately, n- nothing the Marlins can do about. That's where they are geographically in the National League East division. We're going to come back in just one minute and we're going to talk about the best case scenario for your Marlins. We are going to dream about what it all looks like if the plan, if it goes according to plan, stay with us. Get familiar with Symbol. Symbol spelled S-I-M. B-U-L-L is the stock market for sports. You trade sports teams like stocks and earn cash payouts when your teams win. Use your sports knowledge to buy low, sell high. Join the 2,000 plus early adopters who have already started with Symbol. Trading for MLB teams is now live starting today. Right now, it's live. That includes Sim Marlins, which you can get for only $20 per share. It's going to go up if they win, so you jump in while the value is at its best. Visit symbol.app, www.simbull.app to create your free account. When you deposit, do yourself a favor and use the promo code FISHSTRIPES, all one word, for a $10 bonus. Visit symbol.app, use our promo code FISHSTRIPES for a $10 deposit bonus to help build your portfolio. Invest in what you know. Invest in sports. Welcome back with Daniel Rodriguez, Eli Sussman, talking about the best case scenarios for this 2021 Marlins season. We went through the bad stuff. On on the other side of the coin, I mean, I'll start where I started the previous segment with the rotation, with the pitching that they have entering the regular season. We got Sandy Alcantara, Pablo Lopez, Eliezer Hernandez, Trevor Rogers. 
and should be coming up very soon into the season. We'll be seeing Sixto Sanchez and right behind him on the depth chart. We have a Nick Neidert, we have Braxton Garrett, we have Daniel Castano. I mean, Daniel Castano came out of nowhere last year and had a three ERA. And honestly, I think they go, that's how deep they go for the first portion of their season. All with guys that you could very comfortably project to be average starting pitchers in the majors, if not slightly better than average, and if not way better than average in, in the rotation. They've, this is not a bold take, really. And I think this rotation has received a lot of love from the people that actually understands the game and can analyze it, that they know that Trevor Rogers last year, despite his big ERA, he's got an amazing fastball for a lefty and great command of it. And he's got wipeout secondary stuff. They know that Pablo Lopez continues to get better and better and better. He adds to his pitch mix. He's making adjustments and he's only just hitting his stride as well. They know that Eliezer Hernandez has reintroduced his changeup into his pitch mix. And he already had great strikeout numbers last year before his injury. I mean, the possibilities with him this year are incredible as long as he stays healthy. And it really, nothing needs to be said about Sandy and about Sixto. These are guys that, in the postseason with so much on the line, both of them had incredible postseason debuts for in that series that the Marlins played against the Cubs in order to sweep that series. And that's just scratching the surface of what they can do because both of them have just incredible raw stuff. With Sixto, his command has always been there throughout his pro career. With Sandy, it just keeps getting better. And he has that bravado, you know, he has that, he wants to be that ace. He has that mound presence where you always trust him and above all else with Sandy, you trust his durability, which will be so big in this kind of year where most pitchers are under pretty careful pitching limits. So what I covered eight guys there that I all believe in a lot. Some of them outside of Sandy will be on innings limits, but then there's even more coming later on in the year when Edward Cabrera gets healthy, when Max Meyer gets healthy, Max Meyer might be the best pitching prospect they have who hasn't already appeared in the majors and he should be up by the end of the year, all things considered. And with those guys alone, and just a little bit of luck on the durability side, that might be enough to patch things together. With all these pitchers that the majors aren't very familiar with yet, that opposing batters can't really prepare for all that much yet, and that I think the advantage goes to a pitcher when you're brand new on the scene and when you're just coming into your own as, as, an, as a starting pitcher. When if everything goes right, this could be one of the very best rotations in the majors, if not number maybe not number one. I think that might be stretching it saying number one, but I'm pretty comfortable saying they could get top five major league production out of their starting pitcher. That the majority of their innings pitch this year could come from guys that are elite. And that's that alone is going to carry you very, very far when we're talking about competing to get back to October. And, and I also think maybe like the major X factor for the Marlins hitting wise would probably be Starling, Mar uh, Starling Marte getting a full season of Marte coming off injury. I think just everything that he can bring leadership wise, power, speed, ability in the outfield. I think having Marte will just be great for the full season. I think it depends hitting and the hitting side, maybe I don't want to say solely on him, but a majority of the share if Starling Marte can continue like he was doing in the past before coming to the Marlins, I think the Marlins could just exceed expectations hitting-wise hitting if Marte could stay healthy. He'll be motivated. I tell you, he's going to be a pending free agent, and he's going to be 
if he's anything like his old self, he'll be the best center fielder on the market next year. So even if he's not going to be with the Marlins long-term, he'll, he'll be somewhere next year and he wants to get paid. And I can't, I can't blame him for that. And for using that kind of motivation to get him through that. Um, there are, I guess the other thing to point to what at this particular moment was really one of my big takeaways from spring training. It was the defense. I alluded to it before how there are some concerns due to age with some key players on this roster. Overall, it's, it has the makings of being a big strength of this team where people point to the rotation for understandable reasons, because it's easier to see that. And it's like easier to quantify, but at almost every position, they have really solid and frankly, more than solid defensive options. If we trust that, if we trust that those older players can be who they used to be, whether it's Duvall and Dickerson who have won gold gloves in the past. I mean, that's important to note out, even if they are where they are in their careers, that they have that pedigree. Uh, I think Starling Marte, the same thing. Miguel Rojas and Brian Anderson were both finalists. This is amazing. How, how far along are we in the pod? And we, this is the first mention of Brian Anderson, that he's someone that is a terrific all-around player. And at this very moment, it does not seem like he'll get his contract extension. We tried. We tried on fist stripes to get BA paid by Kim Ang in the front office. And they're seemingly not interested in doing that right now. It's the same effect that someone like Marte has, that if they don't want to give him the security right now, then he has to prove himself. And he wants to put himself in a new stratosphere in terms of what his market value is by producing on the field. So he's someone that is entering into his prime years of baseball. And he's shown so much ability in different aspects of the game. But now, more than ever, he wants to prove himself. And I've always been amazed at not only what he does at third base, but in the shift when they move him to the right side of the infield and how naturally he handles all those plays as well. It's very impressive. Jorge Alfaro is another key guy here where he had defensive limitations last year. He was benched last year throughout the postseason run because they did not like the way he was calling games. And of course, he wasn't hitting uh, up to his usual standards to give himself in the lineup. More so than anything, though, it was about the defensive stuff. It was about the intangibles. And he spent this whole offseason staying in Miami instead of returning to his native Columbia. He stayed here to work on his game, to know that this is a make or break year for him. It really is, where he's a guy that could find himself cut loose at the end of the season if he doesn't improve on where he was in 2020. He'll be motivated and he's someone that has incredible skill sets behind the plate. He's always had that strong arm. And he's been catching for a long time. He should have some of those innate abilities on, on how to work with pitchers and how to call the right game and how to do all that behind the plate. So you could see a scenario where he has a breakout of sorts as a defensive catcher and he becomes a true plus behind that. And again, it ties back to this next wave of players that are coming up. We saw them in spring training. We saw JJ Bleday, um, saw him make a couple great catches in one awesome double play with his cannon of an arm in right field. He'll be up at some point this year and he's going to help them in either of the corner outfield positions. So even if Duvall and Dickerson do take a step back, he is going to be an upgrade over them potentially at those positions. All those outfielders that are kind of on the fringes of the roster, Brinson and Sierra and Monte, all of them are plus defenders, maybe double plus defenders. So if they're, bats tick up just a little bit that you can feel comfortable starting them on occasion, 
you're, you're going to get nine innings of lockdown defense at those outfield spots. And really the unsung hero, I think, of this Marlins team is their coach, Trey Hillman. Trey Hillman is the guy that coordinates all the positioning, especially in the infield, the defensive shifts. And this is a team that has gradually year over year started to shift more and more often and been really effective at doing that. As long as he's in charge, as long as he is continuing to scout their opponents the right way so to know where to line his infielders up, that they're going to take advantage of it. This is a pitching staff, especially with Sixto and with Pablo and with Sandy, and even with Nick Nider when he gets an opportunity to come up and some of the others where they generate so many ground balls, so many. When they're not striking guys out, they're keeping it in the infield. And as long as you have athletic infielders in position and you have them in the right spots, then there are going to be so many outs converted on those plays. And you add it all together, this is the pitching talent and the defensive talent and the analytics. It could be an elite team in terms of run prevention. Honestly, it could be in contention for one of the very best teams in terms of preventing runs. And that's half of the battle, right? not hitting hitting is the other half and maybe you could talk a little bit about the hitting upside that these guys have but it's the run prevention is is half the battle making sure that any game is within reach because you can limit your opponents from putting up those crooked numbers on the scoreboard hitting is is probably going to be the biggest thing for the Marlins this year maybe improvement wise like I said before, they were in the bottom of the league last year in OPS and other stats, maybe including home runs. And if they can get hitting from maybe guys like Jazz Chisholm or more, maybe more from Starling Marte, Corey Dickerson, Garrett Cooper can hit a couple home runs. If they just get hits, home runs, RBIs, runs, anything, walks, if they could just improve just slightly on that, I think this is a wild card team and maybe even potentially win the division if everything goes right hitting-wise. Because as you mentioned before, defensively, they're looking great on that end. But if they can hit just as well, they're going to play defense, they could probably win the division. Yeah. um, But the hitting side, I mean, individual guys that I'm pretty high on, Jazz Chisholm Jr., where you look in spring training, the the highlights he created were pretty obvious. The I think three home runs and four stolen bases – but um, also the actual quality of the contact. He was hitting the ball harder than you see from practically anybody. He has that elite bat speed and that sneaky strength, even in his small build, where he generates so much power that he can miss hit a ball a little bit and still going to go a very, very long way. So he's one guy where projection systems will think eh, he, he might not be ready to be an everyday player, um, and he's sort of just taking advantage of the struggles that Isan Diaz has had. But the upside with him is pretty fantastic, where he could be a star. He could be one of their best all-around players immediately if he stays confident and if he continues to work quality at-bats. That that power will show up, and he is a guy that could easily hit 20 home runs in a season, 25 home runs. Um I mean, Miguel Rojas is one of the real mysteries here. I told you that I was a little bit skeptical of what he's going to be moving forward. I mean, the reality is he hit, what did he hit last year? Like 310 or 315 with a 900 OPS that any way you slice it, he was one of the better offensive shortstops in baseball last season. And 
you can't entirely rule out him somehow repeating that with the kind of work ethic that he has. Uh, Gary Cooper, you mentioned Gary Cooper a couple times already, where he's potentially the most talented hitter that they do have. And he's just never been healthy in his whole career, uh, including last year, missing a lot of time with COVID. If he stays healthy and if, again, we're, we're praying for this, we're praying for the last minute designated hitter to become universal that if he has an everyday role of some kind, that you could see a scenario where he really breaks out into an all-star caliber guy. And I guess the final thing I want to touch on is the base running. I mean, last year, that was a big quality of the team. They were not a good offensive team last year. You mentioned they were, I believe, dead last in the majors and home runs, if not very close to that. And the reason why they were still able to win most of their games is because of their base running. They were second in the majors in stolen bases, and they were really high up there in efficiency as well. They, um, their stolen base percentage was in the high 70s. The ability that they had to take the extra base as well, things that don't show up in the traditional steals totals, going from first to third, uh, forcing a lot of pressure to get your to force errors by the defense and getting extra bases that way. And they're bringing back so many of the key players from that team, from like Starling Marte, Jazz in a very short time showed his base running ability. And I guess the last player that I need to show love to is John Birdie. John Birdie very quietly is potentially one of the best players on this roster all around. Last year, 388 on base percentage. He was tied for the team lead with his nine steals. And he, with his defensive versatility, is going to find his way into the lineup on the majority of days. When he, he's just he's very solid player. And we don't know where he came from. He was a minor league signing a couple of years ago. There was not much expected of him as recently as uh, honestly at this time a year ago, I wasn't totally sure whether he'd be able to legitimize his rookie production from 2019, but he did. He just works great at bats and he is still one of the fastest players in baseball. Uh, I mean, it's really no debate about that. So as long as he's on the team, as long as he's healthy, he'll be a big aspect of setting the tone for what they do as a base running team. And that's going to create a lot more offense than you might think at first glance, I think. Especially, you know, for with John Burry and everything that he brings, especially all the positions that he can also play. It reminds me a lot of Brock Holt, uh, formerly with the Red Sox when he made the all-star game. That's what I think of when I see John Burry, someone who can play the entire infield can play, who's going to be great defensively, who can also hit the ball at a good percentage, a good batting average. I think with John Birdie, I think even another guy who's an X-Fact, really underrated for the Marlins. And if he can just perform really well, maybe hitting-wise, because he already has everything down defensively, especially playing multiple positions, I think that's really a key guy for the Marlins when they plug plug and play him into the lineup. Maybe if someone is injured or – has COVID or is in a hitting slump, you plug in John Burning, I think you can get good to even better hitting-wise, especially defensively when you plug him in. Uh, just as we did with the previous segment, I want to hear a number from you, a win total, a record that potentially this team gets to if, uh, if it all goes together. And I guess right before we make the prediction, we'll just flip the, the division situation around where even though a lot of these teams – have these big payrolls that they have these big stars. Most of them are entering the season with some injury concerns. I mean, the Mets are missing Carlos Carrasco. As we're recording this, the Nationals had a surprise COVID case on their roster. All of a sudden, the eve of the regular season, 
it, it seems that one of their players or several of their players are going to be missing time due to COVID protocols and they'll be unavailable. Uh, who else with the other teams? Well, the Phillies, JT Real Muto had to rush through spring training. He had like his thumb issue going on. I think he broke his thumb. And uh, the, I guess with the Braves, they seem to be in decent shape, although um, a couple concerns on the pitching side with them and whether they'll be 100% ready for the season. That The Marlins have been really fortunate in this regard that uh, even though on paper these other teams have more established major league talent, if they're not available to play, then they won't be as tough. And all those interdivision games won't be necessarily automatic losses or they won't be even losses 50% of the time that maybe there's an opportunity to steal some series from these rivals. So with that tangent out of the way, what does the record of the Marlins look like if they reach their ceiling, if everything goes right for them? I think 93 and 69 will be a good record for the Marlins. Cause I think with that record will be good enough for maybe the second wild card spot, maybe not so much in division just because how much this division has improved with, you know, the different signings that the Mets, Nationals, Braves, and Phillies um, did this offseason. But I think 93 wins and 69 losses would just be a great number for the, the Marlins. I think that's probably their best case scenario is making the wild card, um, the wild card side to the playoffs, especially if they get the first wild card side and they can host that, the, that wild card game, I think would be the best case scenario for the Marlins. Yeah, somebody pointed out to me um, – but I guess yesterday, how this new sponsor, Lone Depot, they very recently agreed to a deal to sponsor, to be the presenting sponsor of the National League Championship Series as well. So the dream is that they make a deep run and host some games at Lone Depot Park during the National League Championship Series that's sponsored, that's presented by Lone Depot, that it, it could all come full circle in that way. Um, I would have the ceiling a little bit lower on them. Um in terms of the total wins, just because, yeah, I, I don't think there's a scenario where it's like an elite regular season team. Um, and even honestly, winning the division seems just a touch out of the realm of possibility. I, I do agree that there is a situation where they probably get enough for the wild card that I'll put it at right around to 89 wins. I'll go 89 and 73 it all goes right. And historically that usually gets you in as like the second wildcard team in the league under what was the old playoff system. And what's the new playoff system that maybe if it all falls, right. They get in that way where they could be a legitimately good team, not a dominant team, but legitimately good. And the first time that they've been at that level since uh, 2003, I mean, just as a, I'll give you a quick quiz before we move on to the final segment. How many, what was the record that the Marlins had in their world championship series in 97 and then 2003? What was their regular season record in both those years? Oh, man, you're dating me at 97. I was born in 98. Um, for 97, I believe they had, it must have been 87 wins because I don't think the Marlins, I know on either side they never won the division. So it had to have been around in the 80 mark for, for 97. And then for 2003, I think it was 89. I don't think they got 90 wins in any of those two seasons making the making the playoffs. You're selling them a little short. 97, oh. they won 92 and 70. They won 92 that year. And then in 03, almost the same thing, 91 and 71. Okay. 
but I think the, the point stands where you're saying there's a possibility that they have even more wins this year than they've ever had before. Yeah. <laughs> if you're voting it at 93, where you see a scenario where they're equally as good as world championship teams, if not a little bit better. And uh, so that's where I kind of draw the line a little bit, where I see this one being a, a tier below. Um, one of the key X factors, uh, I guess, just to round it off, is how quickly this new money is injected into the veins of the team. Like how quickly do they put it in? Are they willing to make more mid-season upgrades this year on top of who they already have on the payroll in order to make that push uh, to be determined? They haven't shown a willingness to do that over a full-length season. You know, of course, they got Marte last year in a similar situation. Will they add on top of that with this new money? Wait to see. Um, it's a little, I'm a, still a little skeptical about that definitely a lot to look forward to though potential for things to go really well and uh, the final note we wanted to end on here was reflecting on our 2021 fish stripes marlins hall of fame voting process we held the balloting i guess we held that last week right and then i counted up the votes last weekend and we are going to be revealing the results this weekend i i think on sunday during that first off day of the regular season i'll be announcing who got in um uh, let's see. Do you know off the top of your head all the guys you voted for? Uh, anyone just go through them one by one? I'll, I'll fill in the blanks in case. I have, them, I have them right here. The first one, Josh Beckett, five years, 346 ERA, World Series MVP, one of the best postseason pitchers in Marlins history. Second, I had A.J. Burnett, one of the longest tenured Marlins on that list, seven years, 3.7 ERA. He had a no-hit in 2001. was a third in team history which is really great for the Marlins having that. And then also Levon Hernandez, World Series MVP 97, one of the youngest to do it at 22 years old. And before that, in, in the championship series, I believe, 15 strikeouts versus Atlanta. And then after that, probably the best catcher in Marlins history, Charles Johnson, seven years, two-time All-Star, World Series champion, four-time Gold Glove award winner. And also what he does in the community now for – for Miami, you always see him as the alum sponsor when they're doing out to the community service. So I think Charles Johnson would be great for the Hall of Fame here. Another one, Juan Pierre. And I was a little surprised seeing Juan Pierre, especially how long he's played with the Marlins, only four years. Because I thought it was like eight, ten years. Because you'll see every year you see Juan Pierre on the roster. But one of the best base stealers in, in Marlins history, led the league in 2003, World Series champion, over 190 stolen bases in his career for Miami. Another one, Hanley Ramirez, 300 batting average, rookie of the year, two-time silver slugger. For his reward, it goes on and on, 30 for 30, online batting title winner, Edgar Interia, one-time All-Star, played three years, won the World Series, had the game-winning hit in 97. And then another one, this might get a little slack because just about the years he played, is I, Ivan Rodriguez only played one year with the Marlins, didn't make the All-Star game, wasn't his MVP stuff as he was with the Rangers, but he did win his only world series with the Marlins was NLCS MVP. And it was actually had the team record in Marlins history at that time for most RBIs by a catcher with 85. And then I had Giancarlo Stanton. I think everyone listening to this knows everything about Giancarlo Stanton because of how recent it was 59 home runs MVP. The next one, Dan Ugla. Dan Ugla was so, I think was just something special in between those years, like 06 to around 2010, when they were still the Florida Marlins. I think just Dan Ugla was severely underrated. 
especially home run hitting, had over 150, two-time All-Star, Silver Slugger 2010, third Rookie of the Year voting. And another really interesting, like, fact that he had a stat, he had over 27 home runs in each year with the Marlins, and he had over 30 home runs for those years. I believe 31, 33 was his most. And then for my writing, I had Antonio Alfonseca, six years with the Marlins, 3.86 ERA, over 100 saves, over 369 holds, World Series champion. He was actually 22nd in MVP voting in 2000, which is really something to see for a reliever. And he won um, reliever of the year that year also in the National League. And that's my Hall of Fame um, voting some players for, for this year. A lot of position players, pitchers, it ranges from guys who've been eight years to only one guy with a single season, but that's who I voted for for the Hall of Fame for Fish Stripes. A lot of overlap between yours and mine. I was a little bit more exclusive. Um, a lot of the same names, though. Beckett and CJ, Charles Johnson, Juan Pierre, Hanley, Giancarlo Stanton, Dan Ugla. The one difference that I had was Josh Johnson. Johnson was uh, – simply put one of the best pitchers in baseball at his peak and it was a short peak because of injuries but 2009 to early 2011 there's really no argument that he was in that very top tier of pitchers he was durable before that injury kind of changed him in 2011 he kept the ball in the ballpark and yet he missed bats and he weren't consistently worked deep into games like he was just a phenomenally well-rounded pitcher. He was a two-time All-Star. He was fifth in Cy Young voting in 2010, and he was one of the early front runners for Cy Young voting in 2011 before getting hurt and finishing with only nine starts that year. Never got to taste the postseason, and even though he got traded, still in his 20s with a couple of years left on his contract, he is someone that ranks very highly up there on a lot of career leaderboards for the Marlins in terms of regular season stats. Never had the team around him to get into the postseason, but 800-plus uh, strikeouts with the Marlins, uh, 315 ERA during those years, and fielder independent pitching was just as good that he was really fun to watch for that brief glimmer of time, that shooting star that we had with the Marlins. And I'll, uh, I said I'm going to hold off on announcing who the inductees until this first off day of the regular season, but – there are going to be quite a few of them. I'll, I'll give that teaser away that several of the players that you voted for did get enough to get in. For most players, it was a 70% threshold, 70% of the vote. For some of the new players, for Stanton, because he's part of the Miami era, um, I raised the threshold. I said 85% vote needed to get in, and he was right around there. You'll have to find out whether or not he cleared that threshold or not. It was a tough bar to clear. That's coming up soon. Uh, in the meantime, we went way over time with this. This is more thorough than I expected, but I'm sure the fans will appreciate it. With Daniel Rodriguez and Eli Sussman, uh, we putting this together for the podcast feed and getting some rest because then I need to host our live stream tomorrow, Fish Stripes Live, our first experiment with live streaming across Twitter, Periscope, and YouTube. Fans are invited to join. Just look at the pinned tweets in our Fish Stripes uh, Twitter account for, for details, for inviting people to come along with us. So that should be a mess, but it should be a beautiful mess. And I'm looking forward to it very much. So Daniel and Eli, 
this pod will be up on Thursday. And then we're going to have a small pod again on Friday. And Daniel's going to be at the ballpark doing credentialed coverage for that Friday game in the Marlins Rays series. Looking forward to an exciting opening day and a 2021 season. So remember at Lone Depot Park, that's going to take a while to get used to it, but they are going to be the home of the Marlins during this very eventful year coming up. So thanks as always for the support. Continue listening to us wherever you get your podcasts and go fish. And wear blue, never lose. (laughs) 